Well, good morning. What a cool little group we got. This is great. Um, man, I, I just want to, you know, um, I know uh, all of you guys are, for the most part, been, been tracking on what's going on, and, and um, thanks to everybody that came out, and, you know, and, and those who couldn't, that were praying for this, and, you know, like, and we're, we're not we're not done, right? We still, we're still, obviously, we're not done, right? There's not going to be an unveiling at the end of this or anything, so don't get your hopes up. But, um, but this is, you know, this is exactly like Warner said, right? Like, we are the church, right? And no matter where we go or, you know, where God has us, like, we're going to worship him, we're going to make disciples, um, and we're going to fellowship together, and that's our objective. And so the fellowship thing, man, probably haven't sat this close to people in a while, so I hope you guys are comfortable. The, the, the spacing, you know, may not be that, you know, so please feel free, put on a mask, you know, whatever, like, please try to be respectful as we're kind of in this transition period of, like, trying to give people as much room as possible in this very uh, small uh, space. Um, but here, here's, here's part of why this is, and, and part of when we talked about, you know, moving here and, like, what we were looking at was, you probably are sitting next to somebody that you've never sat next to before. Because I, Melissa and I thought, where are we going to sit? I don't know, right? Like, that's a question, isn't it? Did you all have that question? Well, I normally sit in the back left. So where am I going to sit now, right? The youth took the couch, you know. Uh, so that is going to be like youth corners, our plan. I mean, it's going to migrate back. So um, I mean, that's our plan right now. And as we, as we kind of go through this, you know, please feel free. Like, we're trying to figure out, you know, the best way of doing things. And so you're going to, we're, we're still mobile. Yeah, you're, we, everything's still going to be on carts, and things are going to be moving around a little bit until we kind of figure out what, what, uh, what fits best. But um, it's great seeing everybody, and it's, it's, it's awesome because everybody's, like, so much closer. It's like, it's like real interaction now. This is fantastic. Um, so here's what we're doing. We're starting a series, right, called Crazy Things Jesus Said, which I don't really like the, the first word. But, you know, I mean, the reality is, is that Jesus says some things that we just don't like. Um, and, and let me give you an example. Like, if you picked some famous person or somebody that you, like, idolize or think they're just amazing, you probably would go, well, they've said this, um, but, but you probably wouldn't say, I'm on board with everything they've ever said, right? I mean, it doesn't matter who that person is. It doesn't matter if that's, I hope it's not me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean, it doesn't matter who it is, right? You would go, well, they said, they've said some good things. They've said some not so good things. And, you know, or, or maybe... Or maybe you wouldn't even take that leap of faith to say, I don't know everything that they've said, and so I'm hesitant to say that I would do or think all of the same things they do. We don't have that choice with Jesus. It's all or nothing. And see, the world has gone, well, we're going we're gonna to cherry pick this thing, right? We're going to pick the ones that are good, that are e maybe, maybe easy, and we're going to kind of leave these ones over here, and we're going to leave these to the side, and go, I don't know what that means, or that's too difficult, and I, I just don't, I don't understand that part. So what we've decided to do is we're going to go to these things, and we're going to go, well, if Jesus is the Son of God, then everything that he says is worthy of uh, our time and our energy and, and ought to be guiding for us, right? And this is, and this is the, the whole theme for this year, right, of like thriving. So who... Um, 
I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, I guess, but I don't know, you can, I guess. That's, everybody's like right here. <laughs> this is really tripping me out, by the way. Um, so, um, like, when you buy fertilizer, okay, I'm a, I'm a huge, like, outdoor, like, yard person. So when you buy fertilizer, there's three numbers, okay, right? They, can anybody name all three? No, not what the numbers are. Depends on the plant. Come on, people. Nitrogen. Potassium is not on there. I thought it was. Phosphate and potash, right? All these things, these are fundamental elements to our lives, right? They are to the plants. Um, so here's what's interesting, right? Is probably like right now, during this time of year, they pour a bunch of nitrogen on everything. You know why? Because it makes everything really green. It makes everything green up all nice, and, and it looks great. Immediately, your lawn is back to where it was. It's not in dormancy anymore. It's great, right? But if you don't end up giving it potash and phosphate, the thing's going to die. Well, let me just say this. What we're going to be talking about are the potash and the phosphate, right? It's the stuff that you really need, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not like, it's not like the shiny Christian face, Right? Because those are the things that, we, that are easier for us to grapple, right? It's like we go, hey, I want, um, I want to be nice and kind to people, and I got to have a smiley face, and I got to always say everything's great because I'm a Christian, and if I don't say that, then, you know, God's going to, you know, strike me down or, or whatever, right? But the reality is that there's more to this. There's more to what Jesus has, and it's healthy, and if we want to thrive as individuals, as a body of Christ, we got we to gotta study everything that Jesus says and go, how does this apply? How does this fit into my life? So that's what we're going to be doing over the next, uh, I actually didn't count the numbers, but six weeks maybe, something like that. Um, that's what we're going to be digging into, okay? So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. We're going to be talking about loving your enemies, okay? Before we get in there, let me, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving us this time. Um, we thank you for... Um, the ability to worship you and read your word and study it and apply it to our lives. And we just pray, Father, that uh, this morning that you would just speak to each one of us. And we're all going through different things, but you know all of them. And um, whatever is um, whatever you want to be set up here, Father, how, how you want your Holy Spirit to work, that's our prayer this morning. However painful that may be in our individual lives, God, we give that over to you. And we love you, Father. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. I, I was remiss to say this. Like, it's totally cool with kids, okay? So, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, obviously, right? We don't have kids' areas and stuff. So, it's totally cool. Like, I don't, I've said this before that I don't get distracted, and I, I probably won't, but I'll do my best not to. But, um, but don't worry about it at all. All right, so Luke chapter 6. Um, we are going to start in um, verse 27. Here's what Jesus says. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Man, everybody says that. Would you agree? Like, everybody says that. Everybody goes. I mean, like, I started Googling it. I'm like, who else has said this, right? And I wonder, like, is this, did people intentionally grab this from Jesus and go, oh, well, he said that and it's good? Or is it conceptually like, hey, this applies. Love your enemies. 
if you read the Psalms, I have a hard time reading through the Psalms at times because I'm like, man, David, like people were trying to kill David. <laughs> don't really, I don't think, I, I don't have anybody trying to kill me like on a daily basis, right? And so I, I feel like at times there's like a gravity to what he's saying. And I'm like, well, it's not that bad. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm struggling with some coworkers at work. Like they're not trying to kill me actually. But I think this is the problem. Because if you just stop there, which I think the world does, we get love your enemies. Who are my enemies? And what is love? We can really water this thing down really quickly. If my enemies are just the people trying to kill me, check, I think. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm presuming I'm not, nobody's got a bounty on my head. Um, and if love is showing the pearly whites and putting on your church face and just being kind and you're just trying to <laughs> treat people with kindness, right? Like, <laughs> um, like, is that it? Is that the, is that the, is, is that the whole point of what Jesus is saying is like, we just kind of just want to be nice people and you should just be nice people to people who want to kill you. All right. Sounds good. You see how quickly we can kind of take that and we go, yeah, I, I love my enemies. But what we're going to do today is we're going to go, hey, actually, what does he say beyond in the second part of verse 27? Who are our enemies? And what does this love actually look like? Because what, what I think we'll find is that the world can't, not only won't, but cannot love their enemies in the way that Jesus describes it. So let's, uh, let's continue on here in uh, the second part of verse 27. So now he starts to describe this. He's like, who, who's the love your enemies? He goes, do good to those who hate you. Now, if you, have a, if you happen to have a pencil and an actual like, physical Bible, um, I, I circle all the, all the negative things, like, right, like the, the adjectives that describe the enemies, and then I put a box around the things that describe like, what I'm supposed to do to them right, and how this exchange is supposed to happen. So do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So do you, like, look through that list of, of, like, they don't all seem to correlate. Right? Like, okay, somebody that wants, that hates me and curses me, and then somebody that's begging from me or that steals from me. Like, those seem like two completely different people. And yet, what Jesus does here is he, he combines them both into this category of enemies. Are they really our enemies? Like, if we go out on the street and somebody begs from me, am I like, you're my enemy? <laughs> If somebody, like, steals, maybe, maybe if they steal something, I guess you could, but if somebody curses at you, are you like, you're my enemy, right? Like, it just seems like over the top, like, I'm putting a label on somebody pretty aggressively, but it seems as though Jesus here is doing exactly that. He goes, hey, let's, let's actually broaden this definition of who your enemy is. What's the common characteristic between all of these? 
it's, it's somebody that is taking something from us in any respect. We often consider our enemies, or at least Jesus describes us as our enemies. Like, think of it on a, on a level of, like, identity, right? If somebody hates you, curses you, hits you, what are they saying? They're saying you're worthless, right? That's an identity thing, right? Like, they're saying you aren't even worthy of my respect. If somebody is stealing from you, same thing. Now, if somebody uh, is begging from you, right, or they're, they're asking things of you, they're, they're, they're taking things that are valuable to you, right? And you're, you're maybe barely like letting them go out of your hand because you're like, I, I, I value these things. In fact, maybe, just maybe, you find your identity in those things and the money that the person is begging from you. And you're like, well, I don't want to give that up because I'm trying to control and find my identity in that, right? So, so what Jesus does here is he broadens this category. He broadens it so widely that now we, we look at this, this thing of enemies and we go, well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, basically what he's saying here is everybody that I interact with that's not myself at times is my enemy. I, th- I think we can say that's true. Right? Like, I mean, think through it for a second. Is there anybody in your life that you've never gone, that you know, right, that you know well, that you've just absolutely never been frustrated, discouraged, upset with, angered by, right? Like, at some moment in time, my lovely bride and I (laughs) have fought, (laughs) right? Shocker. And I'm sure you all can relate to that, right? Like, it happens. And in that moment, she's my enemy. I mean, I think that's probably the thoughts that I was thinking, right? I think. I hope it's not one direction. Um, uh, right? But, like, this is, this is how this stuff works, right? And so, so then what he says, he, he's like, so how do, you, how do we treat these people, How do we treat our adversaries? How do we treat people who do these things to us? He says, bless them. Pray for them. Do good to them. (laughs) Man, that's rough. That, that That becomes extremely tough, doesn't it? Because now, all of a sudden, we're left with these words like, I mean, the, the do good to those who hate. I'm like, yeah, I could probably do that. I could probably have an emotion. Or I can at least say, I mean, I think there's a, uh, you know, oh, God bless them, right? In like an extremely dismissive way, right? No, I can be loving. For those of you who know, like, I, yeah. I mean, I've said this before. Like, I, I hated people for a long time. Um, like, literally. I just didn't like anybody other than my wife and my kids. Um, I just didn't. And, and, you know, Rob would, Rob would stand up here and he would say, I love you, Jonathan. And I'm like, what's up? You know, because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I'm like, I don't know you well enough, <laughs> dude. I don't know that I can say I love you. And every time I heard a Christian saying, I love you, I'm like, you don't know me enough to love me. <laughs> that was thunder, everybody. Just, we're good. 
That's well timed. Um, That's a little creepy. Um, Right? And so, have you guys said that? Because am I alone in this where I go, I don't know you enough to say I love you. I don't. And I think what we're going to find is that the way Jesus is describing love and the way that we ought to love, you don't actually have to know them. That's not the love he's talking about. That's the world's love. And this is what's crazy about it. And this is what ultimately at the end, we're going to see like when Jesus says, he goes, let me just define for you who your enemies are, what real love is. And then let me tell you why you should love your enemies. Because when you get to the actual why of loving your enemies, then what we're going to find at the end of this thing is like, oh, that's why. It's not just so we can have worldly peace. That that's, doesn't seem to be in the cards uh, now more than ever, right? And that, that's not the purpose of what God is doing here. All right, let's look at verse 32. So then what he does is he contrasts that. And he says, let's just, let's just jump into worldly love. Look at what worldly love looks like. He goes, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So he does, he, he grabs like three examples here and he goes, listen, you know, and I mean, obviously we're all sinners, right? So like the, the description here is kind of an interesting one that, that he uses, but he's like, listen, if, if, if you're just nice to people who are nice to you, like, okay. That, so what you're telling me is that there's somebody who loves you, who gives to you, who uh, always is responsible and reliable. And you're telling me you love that person. Duh. Of course you do. Right? That's actually, you could even make the argument that that's actually selfish. That that's a selfish love. That the reason you love them is because you get what? Love back. You get love in return. And what we're going to find is that that's not the love that God shows, thank God, to us. Because he doesn't, he doesn't show us love because he's expecting something in return. He doesn't show us love because we love him. He shows us love because he is love. Because he is loving. He is defined by love. All right, so now go down to verses 35 and 36. And he starts this off with, but, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So what does he say? You will be sons of the Most High. Sons and daughters, right? Like, like there's, there's a, a connection to God that like when we are loving, that is when we are acting like our father. Like that's the point. That's the end of this thing. Like we're not trying to be loving just so people think that we're loving. Like there's no, there's no significance to that. I don't want to be known, I mean, I don't not want to be, I don't want to be known as a loving person. I want people to know that God is loving because my love is going to fail. And if, and if people are resting on my love, that, that's not anything worthy of your hope or, or foundation, right? But his love, 
is. And so that's the love that we point back to. That's the love that we all are commissioned, actually commissioned to show. Look at, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When Jesus is getting ready to ascend after he's risen from the grave, right? It says, he tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Witnesses. That's our job. That's our responsibility to simply say what we've seen. Just, I mean, just like, I mean, translate this not from a Bible standpoint, but from like a judicial standpoint. Like we are told that the Holy Spirit is going to fill us, right? And when we, when we follow Christ, Jesus promises to give us the Holy Spirit that gives us power. And at that point, we become witnesses. We testify, right? Judicial, right? We, we testify as witnesses to what we've seen, what we've experienced, what? Our God's love. That's the point. Like, we ought to be living lives, not to be nice just for nicety's sake, but that we're pointing back to God and so that people will then see God for who he is, the loving God that he is. And so the question for us then is, what is God like? I mean, Warner asks us, hey, reflect on that. Do you have a reason for worship? Is, was one of your reasons... Because God loves me. I hope so. I think that's a really good reason. Because God just chose to love us. And that's what we are, ought to be witnesses to in, in our workplace, in our homes, to our kids, wherever, right? Like, like, we're not trying to be loving just so we're likable and we can get promotions and we can, you know, be successful in this world. That has zero to do with it. It has to do with us pointing to the cross and pointing to the sacrifice that God made on our behalf. So the question then is, what, what are these attributes of God, right? When, when we talk about God's love, he kind of summarizes them a little bit there towards the end. At the end, he says, be merciful as your father is merciful. So there's, there's three of these things that I want us to look at this morning. And the first one is that God's love shows his grace, Okay, and go back. Look at what it says. What, well, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor, right? It's, it's choosing to simply pour out love on somebody that's not, in, that's not deserving of it. It's the opposite of the world's love, right? The, the one that he contrasts. He goes, oh, they love you and you love them back. Noted. Sounds good. That's not love. Oh, you love somebody that's not deserving? Oh, well, now we're in the ballpark of how God operates, and this is grace. I mean, look, read back through this, and it won't be on the screens, but I'll just read through it here real quick. But he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. You're, ta you're telling me like somebody that abuses me, that hits me? <sighs> That's a tough one. That there's supposed to be some level of grace that says, I love them. How? Why? I don't love them because they're great people. I love them because they're my enemy and I'm, 
I'm showing grace. I'm showing, I'm, I'm showing a glimpse. When, when they go, why, why, do you, why do you love me? Why do you respond this way? Right? We point to God and we go, because that's how he treated me. Right? He gave, he gave me grace. I, uh, presumably at some point in my life, I don't know if this is, I don't think this is blasphemy, but presumably at some point in my life, I would have hit God if he was near me. I don't know. Everybody else in that boat at some point? Right? So, so who am I on this side? <laughs> right? And, but what does he do? He shows love. You see, it's more powerful, right? And this grace is, is what we read through, right? Like, this is the fuel of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that, like, he just chose to love us. Not because we're nice and kind and lovable. And so the first part of this is that we show grace. Turn over to Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Paul describes it this way. He says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Right? So he goes, we were enemies, and God loved us, and God saved us. He rescued us. He released us from our bondage to slavery. Why? Because we did the right things? Because we donated enough money? Because we spent enough time? Because we serve? Because we have perfect attendance at church? Because all of these things? No, 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 not at all. None of those actually play into this at all. It's grace. It's him. There's, we got no game, right? And, and here's the crazy part, right? Like, like, sometimes, like, you might think you got game. And that's the scary part, because then grace becomes not as meaningful in our lives. And so we show grace, right? We show the same love that God showed us. But there's a second one, and it says this at the end, where it says, uh, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. What kind of mercy did God show? And man, I, I love this verse. If you turn over to Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus is on the cross. And I think, um, no, let me read it. It says, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's mercy. That's mercy, isn't it? You guys, like, for me personally, this was the key. This was where I had missed it entirely because the reason, what he does is he gives them an excuse. He's like, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't, they don't know how they're hurting you. They don't know the full repercussions of what's going on. They don't even know how deeply enslaved to, to sin they are. They're, they're, they're victims, we're victims, right? And, and God came to rescue us. He, when he looks at us, he sees us as victims. He sees us as in bondage. I mean, he uses that, those, that terminology. And that's why we use it so much up here because Jesus uses it a bunch, right? And so does Paul, right? Like, like we are in slavery to sin. And we talked about it on Easter, right? We don't even know. That's the, that's the amazing rescue part, right? All of a sudden the cell walls come crushing down. You're like, oh, wow, there's more? 
And this is, so Jesus, God sees us as enslaved. And so he is pouring out mercy on us. Well, so then when we look at this world, when we look at those who hate us, who strike us, who steal from us, how do we respond? Do we try to protect ourselves? Or do we go, let me show mercy as my father showed mercy to me? Are they victims? And this is exactly what Jesus does. He goes, they don't know what they're doing. He gave them an excuse. You guys, I, personally for me, like I said, I, to go, to realize the depth of sin. And it doesn't mean like everybody is just, you know, their, their hearts are horrible, right? Like, I don't even know what I do, Right? Like it doesn't, like all of us are led astray. We, we have deceitful hearts. We don't, we try to do the right things, but we don't. And we offend people. And we all want everybody else to give us excuses, right? Well, I didn't mean it, right? And, and we want everybody else to give us the, the mercy. We just don't like giving the mercy as much because we become adversarial, right? And, and there are enemies. And then we go back and we go, well, Jesus said to love them. You see, and so we, we, we reflect God in both his grace and his mercy. And then there's a third one and how we, we point back to God and it's his compassion. It's his sheer compassion. You see, compassion is, is deep. Right? Like if there's levels to your heart, <laughs> right? Like compassion is like really deep down in there. And typically we have compassion for, for people that we know really well. But everybody else, maybe, maybe we're a little bit more dismissive. Maybe we have less compassion for somebody who hurts us multiple times. Right? Like compassion kind of starts to subside and go away. What he says is like, we should also be compassionate. So if you go back to Mark chapter 6, verse 30. So Jesus has sent out the apostles to go and heal, and they come back. And in verse 30, he says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And so what's happening here is, is Jesus is like, hey, man, you guys, they, they were out they were gone for a while, right? They had nothing. They were living, going house to house, preaching the gospel, healing. And they come back and Jesus says, we need to go rest. We need to just go have some time by ourselves. He says, for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. This is, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So I don't like my, um, my time taken from me. Like, I want to be in control of, like, what happens in my life. And so when uh, I get easily frustrated with people and things and inanimate objects often, um, because I, 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 I've found that, like, I really 
Um, I idolize my time. And I, I put myself in their shoes here, and like, if I had been rolling up in that boat on the other shore and saw everybody and I was trying to go rest, <laughs> I wouldn't have responded with compassion. Let's just say that. I would have tried to figure out how to turn the boat around and go to a different shore, right, and try to outrun these people running along the shore trying to catch me. But that's not what Jesus does. He has compassion on them. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. What he's saying, he's like, they don't even know where they're going. They, they need somebody telling them. They're aimless. This is the world, you guys. Like, they are missing something. They're missing the gospel in their lives. This is why we ought to be witnesses in, in the entire world, right? Like, this is our mission. This is our purpose. Our purpose is not to sit here, sing a few songs, read a little bit of scripture, and then go home. It's not. It's not. It's we ought to have the same level of compassion that our God does for us. Amen. Which is him going to us, not being, not being frustrated with us, but knowing how desperately we need somebody leading us. How desperately we need God. And so when we look at people in this room and outside of this room, and they hit us, abuse us, insult us, curse us, beg from all of these things. Where's their shepherd? Can you lead them to the shepherd? Because that's what God put us here for. That's why we gather together. That's why I stand up here and talk. That's why Warner leads us in worship. That's why we all, everybody that serves in the church in different ways or whatever, right? That's all what we're trying to do is to go, hey, this guy's our shepherd. This guy, this guy leads us well. This guy leads us perfectly. He leads us to streams of living water, right? Where, where we sit here and we, we go, this isn't like a to-do list. Compassion isn't something you can just drum up in a day. You can't just choose to have compassion. This is why Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Because we ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit and having compassion on people, seeing each other the way God sees us. Now look around the room for a second. Just look around. Like we, we look at each other all the time. Seriously, like look around at each other. I know it's super weird. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to make like lock eyes or anything. But like, like do you look at each other as like, the way God looks at each other? Or the way God looks at us? I don't. I don't. It, it, it takes me a lot of real intentionality to go, man, they're suffering. They're struggling. And for the world, they don't even have a shepherd, right? For us, we've got a peace, right? We've got a peace that we know that we can go to and we can go, well, well we can just remind each other, right? Encourage and exhort each other, point back to the cross and go, remember, God's got this. And we go, yeah, thank you. I needed that. I needed that reminder. That's why we're here, right? Is to do that, to feed each other, to encourage each other. And then as we go out, we do the same thing. And we're showing this compassion going, let me tell you what you're missing. Now, I wouldn't recommend you tell them that they're sheep without a shepherd. That'd be really weird. But, but like, if you see them in that light, that they're lost, that they're missing, that they're roaming around, 
that's what, that's, what, that's what we all were before we were following Christ. I mean, we use that terminology, don't we? Follow Christ. We're, that's what we're doing. We're following Christ like a sheep. <laughs> like we're just doing what he does, right? What's the world doing? They might follow some people for a time or this person or that person. Or maybe they're kind of randomly kind of wandering around. I don't know, right? And so this is, when Jesus says, love your enemies, it's not a platitude. It's not just some nice little phrase that we just, we do because we want to be known as nice people. It has nothing to do with it. This is fundamentally our purpose, the defining purpose of us in this world. It's to point back to the love of God who loved his enemies, who sacrificed his life for us. That's why we ought to love our enemies. And so when we, when we think through this and we go out this week, right? Like this is where we go, like this isn't a to-do list, okay? So don't, I, I, as we go through each of these things, there's gonna be some different things that Jesus is gonna say. What this should do is go, what's my motivation? What's my why? What's my reason for worship? What's my reason for loving people? And the right answer is that because God loved us and I'm, I, we are witnesses of his love. Let me pray.